Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Bunurong Bun Warung and Wurundjeri Woi Warung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! favorite part of the godfather part two is please tell me so michael corleone he knows right he does know he knows the whole thing was fredo he knows yeah so the party he walks up to fredo and he kisses him right Mm -hmm. and he grabs the side of his head he looks right into his eye oh yeah you know the scene yeah and he's like it's not the bees. Oh no! I That's re- my favorite part of the Godfather Part Two. I think we must have watched different cuts because I don't remember it happening like that. Yeah, I watched the anniversary edition. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But that's what it is. It is not the bees, Liam. Oh boy, is it ever! Hello and welcome, listeners, to Not the Bees, Episode Six. My name is Lawrence, and as usual, I'm here with my friend, housemate, and inventor of the Dewey Decimal System, Liam. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, Get you out of the library for a bit? Yeah. Writing up all those books? Still not done. No. Still, did you know that there are new books published every day? I straight and, up don't believe and you. And I have to categorize them all. Books stopped being written in 2005. Oh, well, that's what they would want you to believe. That's what the mainstream media is trying to <laughs> tell you. That gotcha journalism. That gotcha journalism. The deep state is trying to pull the wool over your eyes and convince you that there's no such thing as new books. But there are. You know what? They've done a bang up job. You just of, gotta of look. Lying to me. You just gotta look. Check out my other podcast, Book Truth. <laughs> it's not hosted anywhere. I just I play it from speakers on my balcony. If you happen to be walking past and you happen to hear it, good good for you. Yeah, I'll put yeah. our address out on the Not the Bees Twitter after the show so that you can serendipitously wander past. Oh, please don't. We've only just got rid of the orchestra. Yeah, it, that took a while. That took a while. Again, the throw bra- back to last episode. Wow, that's for the people who um, are longtime listeners. Thanks, thanks for tuning in. Again. Thank you for tuning yeah. in. Yeah, the brass section took forever to get out. Liam has a... Well, you hated this film because it's got... I mean, there's a, the, the lead character plays brass, Yeah, right? he plays the cornet. Uh, Although you don't get cornet and orchestras typically yeah no. it's a lot of trumpets i forgive you... coronet because it's not like an orchestra brass instrument that's my favorite kind of ice cream to get as well a uh, coronet yeah coronet you know that's your the... your favorite um trilogy of movies the yeah, coronet trilogy the, the edgar wright coronet, coronet trilogy <laughs> so what we're, we're back again and uh, we thought we'd shake it up this week and watch a Nicolas Cage film. You know, yeah, just to keep things lively. Yeah, a bit of a bit of change. Bit a bit of change, bit of cage. Hmm. And uh, what are we watching this week? We Liam watched the Cotton Club. Why don't I give it a bit of a, a synop? Sure. Sis, and yeah. then maybe you hit us with who's in it. I, I, I would absolutely love to do that. Well, well, boy, oh boy. So the the synopsis of IMDb: is The Cotton Club was a famous Harlem nightclub. This is the story of the people who visited this club, as well as the people who ran it. And the film is generously peppered with the jazz music that made the Cotton Club so renowned in the 1920s and 30s. And that was written by Colin Tinto, 
oh, IMDb. You're, yeah, you're reading the IMDb. The, the IMDb too. one. Yeah, it's not great, but it did make me laugh. It's just generously peppered. Generously with jazz. peppered. I think if more films are generously peppered with jazz, then you yeah. know, like they like more films. They brought that waiter with the big pepper grinder into the editing studio and just they just had him crank jazz away. You, sir? Oh, generously, please, please. Yes, yes. I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> And they never did stop. No. no. Some say he's still, still grinding. grinding jazz pepper to this day. That's how he got Damien Chazelle. Yeah. That's how. The, Damien Chazelle was, he, he emerged like a phoenix. And out of the pile, the of, the pile <laughs> of pepper, of loose ground pepper on the editing room floor at Zoeatrope Studios. And it made you mad. Yeah. 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 So why don't you hit us with... Who's in this film, Liam? Now we know it's about this 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 club and the people who frequent it in the twenties and thirties. It there this this film is quite loaded. It's stacked with really? people. Yeah. So it's another Francis Ford Coppola movie. Uh-huh. Um, Nicholas Cage is second of three Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola movies. Uh, we have one left to go. Yeah. First uh, one, of course, being Rumblefish yeah. from a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he Francis Ford Coppola, like he did a lot of his movies, also wrote it. He co-wrote it with a guy called William Kennedy. Mm-hmm. The two of them collaborated on the story along with a little bit of input from Mario Puzo, mm-hmm. who wrote the he wrote the original Godfather book and helped francis ford coppola i think also with the screenplay yeah for yeah. the godfather and it, so, it's it's been 10 years it's been 10 years since he did the godfather part two we haven't hit godfather part three yet but it's yeah. been 10 years since he did part since two. since the godfather part two yeah. um as far as like the cast goes let's, let's dive in nuts a lot of people yeah. uh so richard Gere richard is sort Tiffany of the Gere. he's the the male lead the big um the big headline marquee star he plays yeah. a guy called dixie dwyer who's a cornet player yeah um in new york in the late 20s early 30s he goes on to become a movie star in old black and white movies in old hollywood mm-hmm. uh, diane lane mm-hmm. comes back after she was in rumblefish she comes back again to play vera cicero the sort of gangster mall um character yeah the yeah. the straight talking sarcastic uh female love interest yeah uh, you got gregory hines who plays sandman williams one of the yeah. dancers um he has a brother who is played by maurice hines mm-hmm. plays uh clay williams they're sort of modeled their two characters are they're tap dancers they're sort of modeled after the nicholas brothers yeah who were uh sort of very famous african-american yeah brother dancing duo who showed up in a lot of old hollywood movies if you, if you haven't seen them do youtube them because their dancing is f- quite remarkable yeah the, the real the real pete the one from uh that one sequence from stormy weather is that where they're like dropping down on the, the f- on the stage oh, stairs yeah. yeah that nuts yeah it's it's insane just um nicholas brothers stormy weather there's yeah. clips on youtube go and check them out remarkable they're sort of a model for the Williams brothers in this movie. Yeah, uh, Bob Hoskins plays the owner of the Cotton Club, guy called Oni Madden, uh, doing a flawless American accent. As, yeah, we there was a, we were wondering last episode whether or not he'll be you know American or British, and he is American and he's he's brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's very good. My favorite character. Uh, Bob Hoskins is very good. We had to stop the movie and have a whole discussion about who framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> in the middle of it, just because I realized that that's a movie I haven't seen in a while, in which Bob Hoskins is also very good. Yeah. Um, of course, Nicolas Cage yeah. is in this, plays uh, Richard Gere's brother, Vincent Dwyer, mm-hmm. who, uh, very similar character, I think, to Nicky in Racing with the Moon. Yeah, it's found. sort of an interesting amalgamation of, if you took sort of his his Valley Girl character and then sort of fused it progressively with the with the Nicky character. Yeah, 
and then you throw in a bit of the um maybe maybe just a little bit of the rumblefish guy in there yeah, as well yeah then yeah yeah it, it does feel like this boiling point of of everything he's done yeah up to he's this point. drawing from a bunch of different characters yeah um he plays vincent dwyer he gets slowly sucked into the criminal underworld the mm. mob underworld of 1920s 1930s new york mm-hmm. um and eventually that proves to be kind of his downfall spoiler alert but he gets uh, gunned uh, down at a phone booth just when he's just trying to buy jelly beans he is just trying to buy jelly beans the uh, jelly beans go all over the floor you can't eat those you can't know it's been longer Those than five floor seconds beans. they're floor leave them for the, for the floor people yeah, they're the floor people beans now <laughs> um and then the supporting cast is also... It's also nuts. Yeah, full of... Gwen Verdon, yeah. the dancer, um, best known for her work with Bob Fosse, yeah. shows up, plays... Uh, the mum. Yeah, the mum. Mm. Plays Nicolas Cage and Richard Gere's mum. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is back, yeah. again, as Larry Fishburne. And of course, he was in uh, Rumblefish as well. He was in Rumblefish. He, he had a slightly bigger part in this one. Yeah, yeah. Towards the second half of the film, he, yeah. he was mainly silent. He was there, but he was silent for the first half. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just kicked off. Just you know, there to sit still, look pretty, and he does. He oh. looks like a, a snack. He absolutely looks like a snack. Um, Tom Waits comes back. Yeah, as the the MC of the Cotton Club. Which is his third film because he did What the Hut once, and then Rumblefish, and then I think this was his third. Collab- he may have done more collaborations with Coppola right. by this point. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I only really know of Rumblefish. I haven't sure. seen. What he the did Heart the music wants. for What the Hut once. Oh right, okay. Um, who else? I, I've oh. got the IMDb page. We did have this moment only after. Yeah. So before you get to who I'm, you're about to talk about Jennifer Grey shows oh, up yes. as uh, Nicholas Cage's wife, Patsy Dwyer, <laughs> and we're like Jennifer Grey, a good actress. Yeah, great. And she's not at all used. Got nothing. She's in got this maybe film. three scenes. Yeah, and she says maybe four lines, if that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the big surprise that oh, we found that thrilled us. We did not spot this during the movie it's only when we were watching the credits that you noticed the name and mm-hmm. we had to rewind and figure yeah. out where he was liam and i i always watch the credits for films because working in film and tv i do it to yeah. out of you know respect and stuff but we okay. also love to watch the credits because we love finding funny names really funny names really just great names every now and again there's a corker oh and oh how we laugh yeah but this one it wasn't a funny name it was a name that made us go oh a very familiar shit. name Giancarlo Esposito. Who, um, I mean, if you're a bit of a sort of film and TV nerd, you might yeah. know him. But if you don't know that name, yeah. he played Gus, Gus in Fring. Breaking Bad yeah. from seasons two through two, about the end of season four. Yeah. And um, he's in currently in The Boys. He is currently in The Boys oh, as the head of uh, Vought yeah. Industries in and season two. He's also in The Mandalorian. He is also in The Mandalorian. Killing. He was in the Maze Runner films. He's, yeah, a very good kind of journeyman actor who shows yeah. up and does these really interesting yeah. characters. Uh, a lot of the time kind of villainous characters. Yeah. Um, oh, he does bad so well, does he? Does. He has this really great, sort of ability to be very quietly menacing yeah when we were watching the boys we both at the same time into this one scene if you haven't watched the boys won't spoil it because you don't want to spoil the boys but he does pop up in the boys and he just stands in a room he doesn't move he just speaks and after that scene scene liam and i were both went oh fuck he's so good yeah he's so good like his job is to keep 
people in line yeah. who could just tear him limb from limb. Mm. And not only does he manage to kind of keep them in check, but he manages to actually really effectively <laughs> intimidate them. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's just watching him work is incredible. Yeah. And so, and also Sophia Coppola, you just mentioned. Sophia right Coppola, yeah, has a, not a prominent role like she had in Rumblefish, but she yeah. plays a, a kid on the street. Yeah. Yeah. So as you can see from that, that is a that's a serious cast. Yeah, and it's not even it's a big cast yeah. too. Like it's not even getting to all the people who aren't household names. Mm. Um, mm. I'm sure go and just look it up. The page, the IMDb page is enormous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was shot by Stephen Goldblatt, who um, nominated for a couple of Oscars. He was also the cinematographer on movies like The Help and mm. Closer. Uh, the Nancy Myers movie, The Intern. The Intern. Have you seen that? I have not. I have seen it. Yes. Wish I hadn't. Very well. Yeah, but he shot it. It was very well shot. Good on you. Um, yeah, the Chadwick Boseman, uh, James Brown biopic, Get On Up. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. Um, <laughs> wow, quite a quite a uh, yeah. varied filmography. A, a very eclectic. Julian Julia, Charlie Wilson's War, yeah. Rent. Wow. Um. Batman Forever. That man knows his lens. Yeah, the Pelican Brief. Yeah. Uh, he got an Oscar nomination for The Prince of Tides. Yeah. And also this, this film got a couple of Oscars, didn't it? It did get a couple of Oscar nominations. Not in any of the really competitive categories. Sure. But uh, it got one for Best Film Editing, uh-huh. which it was... There were a couple of sequences in particular yeah. where the editing really stood out. Yeah. And really... The juxtaposition of like music and action... Yeah was really stood out in a good way obviously yeah, it was you, great. you don't want to notice the editing aside from when you want to go oh that's really nice yeah exactly yeah. um and best this uh, is sort of the precursor to the production design award but yeah. um art direction set decoration and again it was it was yeah great i found out a fun fact about the uh the, the set decoration and the construction did you know this did you? I probably haven't. You, you. Well, okay. Well, there we go. I probably haven't know this. Haven't Sorry. know. It's we, good English. We do this. Uh, it took a team of six hundred people, uh, creating the sets and the costumes, at two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day Jeez. for this film. Six hundred people, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day, just to make all the costumes and sets. That is nuts. Ain't that just wild? I mean, it's a reasonably. Not an insubstantial budget. Yeah. From what I know, it was uh, it cost fifty eight million dollars. Yeah. About. Um, and what did it make back, Liam? Not fifty eight million dollars. Um, you darn tootin. Um. So its cumulative worldwide gross was twenty five million nine hundred twenty eight thousand seven hundred and twenty one dollars. So <sighs> under half. Under half. Not a commercial success. Yeah. Yeah. This was a film that was not without its uh, troubles and scandal in the production of it. Right. It, um, it, so Francis Ford Coppola actually only joined on very last minute. Really? Yeah. He joined on uh, when the previous director, uh, Robert Evans, wanted to, he left because he was having trouble with the producers, I think. And $13 million had already been spent and they already had a script. And so Francis Ford was brought on because he he didn't even really want to do it, mm. but he had to do it because he was so in debt from making One for the Heart because he made mm. that with his own money. Right. And between One for the Heart, he made Rumblefish and he made a bunch of other films, but he was still in debt yeah. from that point. Um, 
I think then that, that Godfather money must have dried up a little bit. Um, and so he he worked with William Kennedy to rewrite the script. But even that script, that's not what ended up in the film. Right. They, across the shooting, they, were, they brought in all kinds of people to write the script. There ended up being 40 or 50 versions of the script just during the shooting. Jesus. Yeah. How, as an actor, that must be a nightmare. Oh, yeah. To have so many, to have the script change rewrites every couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing what's what's going to be landing in your lap, you know, you might there might be a particularly big scene, and there are big sequences in this. Film. Does this movie take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, just because be. of the amount of script rewriting that happens, <laughs> <laughs> like it has that in common with a Marvel movie. Well, it does have Lawrence Fishburne in it, who does appear in in Ant Man and the Wasp. I have not seen Ant Man. Ah, well, I've seen. My approach to Marvel movies is that I only need to see a kind of a, a certain amount. I have to pass a certain threshold of yeah. Marvel movies for just for comprehension's sake. <laughs> and then and the then rest I can ignore. You, yeah, you can, haven't you, seen either the Ant-Man movies, haven't yeah. seen Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, what else haven't I seen? I haven't seen any of the Thor movies. Uh. Um, yeah, like I, there's so many Marvel movies I have not seen. <laughs> I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, yeah. nor have I seen Guardians of the Galaxy 1 in full. Wow. Yeah, I watched just enough Marvel movies Yeah. that I can make sense of like Endgame and yeah. Uh, yeah. Infinity War. But you don't. You haven't seen the collective. No. Yeah. I, that's what my my parents did. That when Endgame was coming out, they realized this is going to be such a big film. They yeah. should. They, they'd seen some of them, but they got in contact with my brother and I, and we sort of gave them a crash course list of just the essential ones that you can piece together the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they were good. They were fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nicholas Cage, of course, Ghost Rider. Yeah, so, are they going to bring him into the MCU? I I bloody hope so. I'll tell He's going to be in that movie nothing. that we wanted to have with like all of the really shitty Marvel superheroes, <laughs> like Squirrel Girl, Squirrel Girl, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider, Namor, Namor, just a bunch of bunch of the offcuts. Yeah, just... like an ensemble movie with just all of them. Let's go the averages. Yeah. Um. But oh, you're getting back to yeah, getting, sorry, long detour. The, the long detour. Here we go. Back to the movie. Um, also, a fun fact: this this did tickle me. So, fifty-eight million dollar budget. The budget blew out of proportion when yeah. Ford Coppola joined. Just between July fifteenth and August twenty-second, there were twelve scripts between. Yikes! Between that, just for context, like that's a two scripts a week, yeah. basically. Just insane. Yeah. But the financial backers. This was great. The financial backers included two Las Vegas casino owners, an Arab arms dealer, a vaudeville promoter who was then murdered before the film's release because there was a contract dispute about the amount of money they would get and someone murdered her. It's wild. Jeez, so, sounds like a bad joke. <laughs> right? Yeah, two, two casino, casino owners, a Saudi arms dealer and a vaudeville promoter walk into a bar. They make a movie and they cast Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's kind of that's kind of... It. So that's laying the groundwork. Now, the man that we're all here for. Yes. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. First things off the bat, we've got to get this out for the people. Does he have an ass? Well, it was unclear at the very beginning it's true. whether or not he had any ass. Larry and I were very confused yeah. because the first scene that he's in, he's wearing this big 
kind of overcoat. Yeah, the, the, the first time we see him, he's in a diner. Yeah, and he's with picking Richard up Gere. The, the bill, and yeah. Richard Gere's like, where did you get money? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, doing jobs for this guy. <laughs> and he's wearing, yeah, big overcoat, big paperboy hat. Yeah, so it's, it's obscuring the ass. Mm. It's not really at all clear as to whether or not he does have an ass. Yeah. It's yeah. only later that we do discover... In his penultimate scene. In his penultimate scene, right before he gets gunned down, mm. he's starting to have an ass. Oh, uh, de- definite curvature of booty. Just the slightest hint Just of an ass is making itself evident. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going. It's it's going good. It's going well. It's so budding. We look forward to bringing you updates in... What's our next one? Um. Oh, God. What is our next one? I think it's uh, Birdie. Oh, that's right. Yes. The next The next podcast will probably be a combination It'll of two. It'll be a two, twofer. Twofer of, of Birdie and The Boy. The Boy in Blue. The Boy in Blue. Another two movies we are not looking forward to watching. <laughs> this is, we're, yeah, the obligation pictures. Just of, biding oh. time until Peggy Sue got married. <laughs> we're, it's, we're about to hit. We have to push through Birdie and the Boy in Blue, yeah. and then we hit a, like a really good run of movies. It's Peggy Sue Got Married, Raising yeah. Arizona, Moonstruck, and Vampire's Kiss. Oh, that's going to be brilliant. All in a row. Oh, I'm so keen for Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. Oh, it's I know you're keen for Vampire's Kiss. Yes. I feel like you're going to have a lot to talk about in the acting Ooh, department I'm in Vampire's yum, Kiss. Yum, 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 yum. I'm keen. Yeah. Nicholas Cage's ass. Getting back to the hot topic, right? Hmm. We see him shirtless with suspenders on, with high-waisted pants, and it looks like they've just sort of inserted... A body into a sausage skin yeah and so when he turns profile and you're like oh my god he suddenly has a butt mm. it's very noticeable yeah it is very a little more prominent than mm. and he was wearing some like tight pants mm. in some of his previous yeah. movies yeah. like valley girl and fast times like at you would Hunt. know you, you would be able to see an ass if there was an ass there to yeah. see so i want but he looked less muscular that's something you pointed yeah. out. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it was just the kind of the ensemble, the sort mm. of high-waisted pants yeah. are never particularly flattering. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you don't have much of an ass. Well. Well. <laughs> well. 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 Yeah. Um, and then he was wearing, like, suspenders, and he was kind of hunched over a little bit. And he, he was, God, again, he was a sweaty boy. He was very sweaty. I just, ah. Oh, so sweaty. Particularly in certain scenes. One yeah. scene where he, he gets shot. And asks his brother Richard Gere to take him to a hospital, mm. drenched. Yeah, he, he has his own personal dowser. Drenched. Yeah. So his character, um, <clears throat> who does he play? He plays Vincent Dwyer. Vincent Dwyer. He begins as uh, so. Uh, Dixie Dwyer plays the plays the cornet and cornet cornet yeah cornet yeah, and uh, gets seen in a jazz bar uh, where he's playing. And he accidentally saves the life of uh, this mobster called Dutch. The Dutchman. The Dutchman. Dutch Schultz. Yeah. And there's, of course, in the 20s in New York, there's feuding between the African-American populace, the Italian mafia, the uh, the Jewish populace. The um, Irish mob. The Irish mob. There's all these factions. And it's sort of... Bob Hoskins plays the guy who's trying to mediate everyone. Don't you love it in the 20s when not even all white people were white? <laughs> Let's let's break that down even more. No, we want to be our own people over here. Yeah, exactly. And then fight each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the twenties. <laughs> and um and because he accidentally saves uh, Dutch's life, Dutch t- brings him on as uh, his own personal musician, following yeah. him around, playing wherever he goes, and he entrusts uh, Dixie Dwyer to look after. 
uh, Vera, played by Diane Lane, this girl that he is interested in. You know, show her the town. and Which is straight up a mistake. Straight up. Like, Richard Gere looks incredible he is in this movie he takes off his he, he wears sunglasses indoors at night that's and, how cool he is yeah and it's I, I didn't even feel mad about that no. i was like you you're so cool that you deserve so to do that cool. he's yeah. just he he's God, looking that, like a snack he can wear a hat he oh, can it's a wear good a hat. movie for hats it's larry did stop at one point and go like there's so oh, many hats a good in this movie hat. yeah yeah, Larry. That's a whole separate episode about the hats mm. hitting the Cotton Club. Oh God, yeah. And um, Diane Lane mm. also looks really good yeah. in this movie. It's just you're putting two good-looking yeah people together. And Dutch says to Dixie, "Hey, don't you sleep with her?" And of course you go, "Well, now, that yeah." It's like, oh, I do it. I wonder where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. And so, and so Dixie gets hired by Dutch and sort of Dutch then takes on Dixie's brother as well, you know, because he's racketeering to go and collect money from his different rackets. Yeah, he becomes kind of a, a collector. A yeah, sort hard of man. Doing a lot of the scut work. Yeah. The dirty work. And th- this film jumps a lot in time without really flagging it. And you kind of, you kind of get how much time has passed because, because uh, Vincent keeps going up in the ranks. Yeah. There he, are, like every time there's a, big jump yeah like from year to year there will be kind of an indica- indication there will be like yeah. a title card with a year on and it but newspapers. there are gaps of like days or weeks or sometimes months yeah which is that kind of are unannounced yeah yeah and and so eventually uh vincent becomes so big that he sort of becomes his own mob boss yeah he and kind of breaks off from dutch yeah and goes and starts his own yeah gang and he starts, you know, shooting up clubs and stuff and accidentally kills kids when he wants to eat an apple. And there's a whole bunch of... He goes on the run. and Yeah, and so uh, we, you start off with this very wide-eyed, oh, oh, yeah, everything's great, kind of Nicolas Cage that very quickly turns into this bitter, sweaty, Tommy gun shooting madman Nicolas Cage, this fusion of all his previous yeah. characters. It was a very abrupt, and I told you this while we were watching it, mm. a very abrupt shift yeah. like in like literally in one scene you get kind of horny kid nicholas cage <laughs> yeah. who's married to jennifer gray but he's lusting after some of the dancers at the cotton club yeah. he's still very he's still quite naive he's still a collector and then in like the very next scene mm. richard gear piles into this car mm. and meets uh nicholas cage who's been shot <laughs> on a job and all of a sudden he's this hardened like man of the streets yeah and you're just like, where did this come from? Where do you get off? Actually, though, not at the hospital. That's not where he wants to go. Yeah, Nicholas Cage is so horny in this film. He's, he's very married horny. Jennifer. We meet him. That is, and he's one like, of hey, the... while you're away, I married someone. One of the continuities between, um, well, between a lot of his movies, yeah. honestly, is just his constant horniness, it's incessant, which lust. exists at various levels throughout <laughs> his movies. Yeah, but it's never, it's it's always above a medium. Oh yeah, it, it never, never sinks. It below. never abates completely. <laughs> He's always, obviously, yeah. little Randy. Yeah, and he, he takes Jennifer Grey, his new wife, to the Cotton Club and is immediately like hounding the female dancers yep. while his wife's there. Yeah. And you go, what's going on, man? Ooh, yeah. I know, it's a bit ooh. Well, this was in the 20s before people got divorced. Uh, yeah, that's right. Before yeah. women were technically people. Yeah, exactly. Apparently. When when the only way out of a marriage was to watch your husband get gunned down in a phone booth. <laughs> when he wants jelly beans. When he, that's, that's the mistake. That's it's, the this mistake. isn't a movie railing against like the dangers of mob violence. No, no. It's a movie railing against the dangers of excess sugar consumption. 
Well, we were talking... <laughs> what a poignant metaphor for America. Yeah, I mean, Francis Ford Coppola could have afforded to abide by that a little bit, <laughs> judging by his... No, please, if Francis Ford Coppola, if you end up listening to this, I respect you very much. We think you're a really fantastic craftsman. Yeah, um, Captain EO aside. I've seen it, and it's great. Is it actually that good? I really enjoyed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I saw it in Disneyland. Um, this film is kind of America. There's uh, mass poverty, racial tension up the wazoo. Uh, what else do we say? Look, There's... in all fairness, you say mass poverty. The movie starts in 1928. Yeah like into the great depression oh, it wasn't yeah. exactly <laughs> not flirting with it america yeah. <laughs> at its economic fight no it wasn't the world at its economic finest that's true that's true that's true so like a little bit of historical context please well, of the racial tension that's another thing in the production that maybe you'd, you'd like to touch on um how this the one we saw is the original cut yeah but there is a different cut. Yeah. So of this film. I mean, it does make sense now that you mentioned that the production period was so messy. Mm. Francis Ford Coppola was facing a lot of pressure um from the studio to cut or scale down a lot of the black storylines. Because um, the two storylines do sort of operate in tandem between the brothers dancing and their yeah. Suit of Love and the the Dixie Dwyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kind of they they dovetail right at the end, mm. um, in that climactic club scene. Mm. But also a lot of the fewer musical numbers, which obviously include predominantly mm. black people. Yeah, um, less dancing. Yeah, less dancing. Um, so basically, to to really scale back the uh, presence of the black cast members and the black characters in the movie yeah and francis ford coppola was just so by the end of the production so sick of this movie yeah that he did it just to get it off his plate and then he went back a number mm. of years later um like really recently and yeah. using 500 grand of his own money yeah. recut the movie he took out how much uh, he took out like 13 minutes and added another 24 of the lost footage of yeah the footage that was left on the cutting room floor of these black characters and these musical numbers and these dance sequences yeah um so it, and and put it back out under the title the cotton club encore it was released last year yeah 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 yeah, yeah. really recently so we watched the original, original cut we did um yeah. but it would be interesting to go back and watch maybe that'll be a bonus episode yeah, for we'll our patreon back. subscribers well i hope there's more nicholas cage in it true if you if you if you're watching it and you're not sure which one uh you're seeing the way to tell is the very first scene if you're in the redone one the revisited one the very first scene is a woman going up to the front of the cotton club and the doorman not letting her in because he thinks he, he turns her away because you know he says you know you're 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 colored you enter around the back yeah because in the cotton club um despite it being an african-american club it was a predominantly white audience, so he thought if she was going to be uh, a black person entering, she was going to be a performer, and therefore she needs to enter around the back. Right, yeah. That's that's one. If you're just clicking through it, that's that. Also, also you mentioned it was longer. Yeah, so the um, encore cut is 137 minutes, mm, and mm. the... Um, hold on. Oh, it's 139 minutes, and then the regular runtime is 127, 128. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's a little longer. Yeah. There was an interesting thing that happened very right at the start of the film, 
which is neither of us recognized Richard Gere, despite no. the fact the only thing he's wearing to make us not recognize him is glasses. Gla- glasses and like a pencil-thin Clark Gable mustache. Yeah, which, you know, really reaffirms to me Clark Kent's disguise. People yeah. always poo-poo Superman for, you know, oh, his disguise is just, you know, wearing a suit and putting on glasses. Bloody works, I tell you. Work we had no idea. Like we've been watching, we've been binging the Americans recently, and yeah. sometimes the only things that Kerry Russell and Matthew Reese will wear as a disguise yeah. are a wig, and it works, and it works. Yeah, yeah, or a strange kind of coat. Yeah, and you go, yep. Yeah, that's not the coat the person would usually wear. It, you've never seen Phineas and Ferb, but it does remind me of. Um, <laughs> When, like, Perry the Platypus breaks into Dr. Doofenshmirtz's lair and he doesn't have the hat on. Right. Dr. Doofenshmirtz goes, a platypus. (laughs) And then he puts his, like, fedora on. He goes, Perry the Platypus. (laughs) It's like that. Richard Gere was Perry the Platypus before Perry the Platypus. Wow. Yeah. So all you nay say is you just take your opinions and you just get out of here. You shove it. But we, again, again, there was many things, you know, there's sort of a recurring trend in these early 80s films of Nicolas Cage where we go, God, that was easier back then. And uh, again, another thing of dancing in this film. The 20s, it was so easy to be a good dancer. Well, it was easy to be, very easy to be an amateur dancer. Yeah, Because right. we, sh- we should specify because there's a lot of very good there's a lot of the professional of dancing in this yeah. movie. Which... A social is, dancer. It's not easy. Social dancing, yeah. yes. If you're just, you go out to like a club, yeah. a jazz club to dance to jazz... Easy. There's a guy in the beginning yeah. who's um he's got a beer in his hand. Yeah. Just funky walking. He's just walking like a Max Fleischer cartoon. Yeah. And you know what? Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's cool. Uh, okay. I, it it got progressively harder over the years to be good at dancing. <laughs> and nothing it was easy to do, uh, apparently according to this film, was flirt. All he had to do was sort of turn your head from one shoulder to the other and go <laughs> yeah. around whoever you like and then they'll do the same and apparently that's how that's how Babby is formed yeah yeah, yeah. also uh, doubly easier when you look like Diane Lane yes yes I want to know how Nicolas Cage's character wooed Jennifer uh, Grey Jennifer Grey what's well that's what I want to know yeah because Nicolas Cage you know he's still got his he's not a bad looking guy he's not a bad looking guy he's still got his gap tooth yeah um yeah, but what's what? How did that all happen? How did in the space of of Dixie going away for a little bit and then coming back, did Nicolas Cage find and marry this woman hmm. in the space of just no time at all? And again, stalking. There's a lot of stalking. A lot of stalking. That's again. That's a how lot you... of like badgering a woman. Yep. To spend time with you. That's what it is. That's how you that's... get girls to notice you on the playground. Just you incessant following. You stalk them, you follow them, you pester them. And then you wed them. And then you wed them. Yeah. And uh, there's there's uh, some stuff that doesn't quite... I mean, it's the ongoing conversation of this film was set in the 20s, yeah. and it was made in the 80s, but it was set in the 20s. Mm-hmm. The uh, physical abuse that happens in this film. Yeah, the physical abuse. I mean, the racial epithets may be a little bit more period appropriate, yeah. but still kind of jarring. Yeah. I just, maybe you feel like because it's set in the 20s, you just mm. have license to do all of this stuff. Because, yeah. Because you, you just say, oh, that's that's how it was like in the time. You mm. have the license to write in 
like physical abuse of women mm. and you know the constant use of like the n-word and nicholas cage does say the he, n-word if you've ever wanted Ooh. to hear nicholas cage say not only the n-word but um multiple slurs for jewish people watch the cotton club because they are there you will not be disappointed in abundance yes i wonder if they cut out any of the n-words in the cotton club encore yeah i wonder or whether they kept those intact yeah but yes, because by cutting them out would be denying potentially denying that yeah. people would say that, and right that now. feels maybe more period appropriate than mm. the whole hitting woman thing. Yeah, it, also so jarring, Richard, Richard Gere is on the dance floor with Diane Lane, and again the mood swings. People swing turn dancing on a dime. is not the only dance swing that's happening here. It's, there was something in the bootleg whiskey <laughs> in the twenties because people would just fucking bug out. Everyone was bipolar. Everyone was bipolar. It really was, though. It was people would be having a great time. Something would be said. And next thing you know, people are getting hit. Yeah. Diane Lane is getting thrown to the floor and picked up again in the middle of a dance floor. And then they Nobody go intervenes. No one intervened. And then people start fake hitting their partners, thinking it's sort of a cool thing to do. Yeah. And then they go back to the apartment and they have angry and they, sex. Yeah, and they make love. And then <laughs> there's a very jarring cut in the, in the middle of the love scene where we, we transition from a shadow undressing to them mid-coitus. But <laughs> between that, Diane Lane's put a hat on and Richard Gears put his dark round frame sunglasses on only to then pull them off again dramatically. I was just wondering what was happening for Diane Lane to put a hat on mid-horizontal mambo and Richard Gere in the middle of night to put on his sunglasses. Maybe it's one of those... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought I had something and then I realized that doesn't make any sense. Well, well, there we go. It's uh, it's style over substance, yeah. really? That yeah. sex scene? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Mm. There, is a, there is a big cuckold in this. A big cuckold. Yeah, the character of Dutch is probably the biggest cuckold I've ever seen on cinema. He's it's pretty bad. He he has no idea that Diane Lane and Richard Gere are off Which, doing the do. But despite it's the fact, so that, obvious. Yeah, really. Despite the fact that Diane Lane not only prefers Richard Gere to yeah. Dutch, very obviously, but the fact that Richard Gere is so much better looking than Dutch. <laughs> Dutch's hairline, which begins halfway down his head. It's just scalp, 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 and then suddenly, yeah, all swept back. There's no contest. There's mm. no contest. Bob Hoskins has an interesting relationship in this with Frenchie. Yeah. Their bromance is... Love it. it it's brilliant. I Take the B out from in front of that, buddy. It's a straight up romance. romance. They, you can do that? I, I think so. That's incredible. Yeah. There's a great scene where uh, Nicolas Cage, as he descends into his weird, sweaty mania... He's shot up a bunch of kids. He's on the run from the law and he kidnaps Frenchie, who is Bob Hoskins' right-hand man, is consigliere. <laughs> Frenchie with the most face of any character in this movie. Imagine the most face on anyone you've ever seen. Frenchie has more. He, he oh, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. It, he's like, he's made from like, like river clay yeah it's like someone made a face and then held him over a candle for a bit and then pulled him away to be set in the cool night yeah hair. yeah <laughs> like a basset hound and an easter island head out of <laughs> that's it <laughs> but they're really funny yeah so frenchie gets kidnapped and uh bob hoskins sends away uh, richard gear to his brother with fifty thousand dollars ransom money yeah and uh, 
And Frenchie comes back and goes, you only paid him $500. And he takes Bob Hoskins' pocket watch and using a small uh, a paperweight, just smashes it on the table. And Bob Hoskins says, oh, what? That was my pocket watch. What are you doing? And then Frenchie reaches into his pocket and pulls out a small gift box and gives it to Bob Hoskins. And Bob Hoskins opens it and it's another pocket watch. Yeah. And then they hug and it's really cute. It's very sweet. And Bob Hoskins says, you think I wouldn't give them... I, I gave them 50000 I want to give them 100000 to get you back. I was so worried about you. And you go, oh, they really care about no, it. they do. These two hard men really care about each yeah. other. It's really sweet. I would have it's, loved to have seen a movie with them, starring them. There's more chemistry. Like, I think Richard Gere and, and Diane Lane are good in this film. Um, but there's more chemistry between Bob Hoskins and Frenchie. Or at Absolutely. least the chemistry was more interesting. Yeah. Like, the chemistry between Richard Gere and Diane Lane very much fit in that kind of like it very much fit a a predetermined mold i yeah. felt yeah in that it was kind of well-worn territory in cinema whereas yeah. the bob hoskins friendship relationship was a little more idiosyncratic and yeah. therefore i think a little more interesting yeah yeah and the right the very last scene you see of them they're walking to uh grand central station for bob hoskins to turn himself in to go spend some time in sing sing because he wants to get out of the game for a bit. Mm. And Frenchie's organized. They're standing there next to these two guys in suits and hats and saying, you know, you've organized everything in Sing Sing for me? Yep. Oh, it's going to be better. You might like it so much. Reality, when you come out, might be disappointing. And Bob Hoskins goes, ah, okay. And he turns and goes, all right. And he puts his hands out. And these two other guys just cuff him. And you realize they've been having this whole dialogue about how they've rigged the system and they've bribed all these police officers in front of these two police officers. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. But what else about this film? Um, there was a very uncomfortable realization about Diane Lane's character's age oh, yeah, that, that I think we came unpleasant. to. Because yeah. we're four years deep into this movie at mm. this point, four or five. We start in 1928. And then at this point in the movie, we were in like 1932, 1933. Mm. And um, Vera at this point has her own jazz club and mm. she's you know known around town. She's gaining popularity and notoriety. And Richard Gere turns to her and goes, look at you. You got your own jazz club and you're not even 20. And I'm like, what? Whoa. <laughs> Hold on. Let's do some maths. Exactly. Not even 20 means that you are 19 at the very oldest. Yeah. And we have been in the world of this movie for four years. Mm -hmm. What? And you guys did it, I mean, within the first couple of months of knowing each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like 15, 16. With a 30-year-old gear. Ugh. Oh my god. It was a bit of that. It was. Yeah. yeah. I mean they they definitely skirt over that. Yeah. And then I thought she skirt, was skirt. in her 20s maybe. Yeah. Um or at the but very no. least like 18 at the very beginning of the movie. A minor in every sense. Yeah. 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 She Again, another the thing line. that we we stopped and talked about. Yeah, Diane Lane's whole 30 minutes the middle 30 minutes was Diane Lane in the coal mine extracting ore. It was definitely a it was, um, it was a choice. It was a choice. A bold choice. That's probably where all the budget went, really. Yeah, to that coal mining scene. They actually dug a coal mine. <laughs> they, they, yeah, <laughs> they recuperated their budget not through ticket sales, but through selling the coal. That through they mined. selling precious gems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, they they remade their budget. They yeah. they only made twenty five million in ticket sales, but they made another like fifty million <laughs> in just like extracting minerals. Yeah, exactly. Ore. In in resources. It's not. It's not the Vera um, storyline with with Dixie. I, I I don't think is the is 
it's given the most screen time in the original cut, but it's not the most interesting one. I was more interested in the Sandman storyline, the whole, the black narrative in this film. Yeah. Because it's about the Cotton Club. Mm. And, and it is a shame that I would, I would be very curious to watch the redone version to see that storyline fleshed out to its fullest capacity, because there is an interesting relationship there between Sandman and what's her, what's her name? Oh, um, uh, 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 Lila, yeah, I think the singer who is mixed race, who can occasionally pass, it can be white passing and occasionally be black passing, depending yeah. on she. She talks about this in the film. She says, "I'm, I'll show people whatever they want to see, whether they want to see her as a white singer or as a, see her as a black singer." Kind of tapping into that whole yeah. uh, genre of American like literature and film of passing, yeah, kind of the whole. Yeah, I, I mean, popularized by, like, Nella Larson. Mm. I think even now there's a book that's been reviewed really wildly called The Vanishing Half that okay. has a sort of passing... Yeah. It, there's an element of that mm. in the plot or mm. that forms a kind of major part of the narrative. I could be wrong, yeah, um, right. but from what I remember, it does. So, okay. yeah, like, it, it, it fits within this kind of, like, lineage in American pop culture of Identity and, yeah. And, and that's what I wanted to see more from. I was... It's very compelling. Yeah. Um, I did think she was white at first. Yeah. 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 We, you thought it was two different actresses. Just and, and given just the lighting and everything, it did. When she was in the club, she looked distinctly darker. And then when she was out in public, she dresses yeah. white. Yeah, yeah. She manages to um, get a spot singing at Vera's Jazz Club, yeah. which is white only. And she enters through the front door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is how, how much she can pass. But then when she's in there, of course, then, because it's only black performers, she becomes yeah. becomes black. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of that narrative has been cut away. So it would be very interesting to go back and watch the the new version and see where that is. Because mm. I think that's the more, that's where the relationship is better. There's an interesting story between the two brothers. One goes off and becomes a solo dancer and then... Uh, does his own thing and becomes a singer and he then returns to the jazz club and yeah. dances with his brother again. It's, it's very compelling. Um, but yeah, that's what I want to, I want to see more yeah. of that. Um, and the acting style in this is interesting because it skirts, I mean, it's in the twenties, as we've mentioned into the early thirties, which of course cinema at the time was flirting in the strange kind of melodrama yeah. um, world. And, and, the acting style in this, again, does flirt between drama and melodrama. Um, yeah, it does at times descend into melodrama. I'll, I'll I'll quickly qualify what melodrama... We always say, you know, don't be melodramatic or, you know, I say that to Liam a mm. lot, but that, I'll qualify what melodrama is. So drama is a state, situation, or series of events involving uh, an intense or intense conflict of forces, while melodrama is a story characterized by extravagant theatricality and by the predominance of plot and physical action or characterization. So, so melodrama has got all the elements of drama, and it can be realistic, but everything's just in heart. So drama is character-based, while melodrama is driven by how the plot drives the characters. And so in this, particularly because we're jumping through time so much, often without indication, you do, Nicolas Cage is the prime example of, you know, the wide-eyed naivety into suddenly hardened criminal and everything is on the surface. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it is this interesting film to watch. It's in colour and it's with contemporary actors and you go, oh, yeah, right. It's kind of, it is kind of a style that we don't see a lot of 
within probably more contemporary examples of uh, melodrama would be something like Big Little Lies or something like that, because yeah. that is technically melodrama. Um, it's not just bold and the beautiful, over-the-top stuff, but it is a subtle shift in drama to create mm. melodrama. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I only just noticed that you wrote poo-poo in my notes. <laughs> Sorry, I was going back through my I notes totally as Lawrence did. was talking through talking about melodrama to see if I'd missed anything. <laughs> right at the end, Lawrence wrote in tiny letters, poo-poo. It took me half a second. I was like, that's not my handwriting. That's not your... I would never write I would never poo-poo. write poo-poo. I'm a pee-pee man. <laughs> so, I mean, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Liam? Oh, God. I mean, there is this movie... There's a lot in this movie that I really enjoyed. I mean, the yeah. editing, we've talked about it before, mm. but there were certain sequences... Um, sort of a solo tap dance sequence in the Cotton Club by Sandman mm. that's intercut and juxtaposed with uh, a, a hit yeah. on uh, Dutch, on yeah. Dutch Schultz and his crew. Yeah. Uh, who By who? By Bob Hoskins. By Oh, yeah, by Bob Hoskins. It's, and, and Nicolas Cage is all in that same sequence, isn't it? Or is is it? Or is I Nick thought Nicolas Cage, Cage was a little bit... Not, I thought he was in the kind of same hit, but he his happened a little bit. Before. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, yes and then you have right. this sequence where Sandman is doing this solo tap dance, uh, unaccompanied by mm. music, um, and that's kind of intercut and juxtaposed, 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 juxtaposed with uh, this hit that's yeah. happening, which is a really, I think, compelling sequence. Yeah, and then the end where um, this final song and dance number at the cotton club mm. is also used as a kind of way to tie up all the loose ends mm. um from all the different plot points like the 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 dance number takes place it's the, themed as this kind of like train station mm. and then it kind of intercuts with it, it is intercut with um you know like diane lane and richard gear meeting at the train station and going off to california together mm. and uh, bob hoskins going off to jail yeah. and um, uh sam getting married yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it's the dancers doing the same movement in the club and then they'll do a cut on the action and it's the dancer doing the same movement in the uh station yeah and so it's this it's it's very it's we said it's very much like a the end of a play, like the epilogue of a play. Yeah. Where you've got all the characters all having their resolutions and then you package it all up with a nice song and dance number and then you send it off. Yeah. And it felt a little bit like what I wish La La Land had been. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. yeah. I said this as we were watching it, but it just La La Land felt like a self-indulgent version of this movie. Yeah. What your thing about something being a love letter to something. Yeah. Else. Anytime, a, anytime a movie is described as a love letter to something, I get nauseous. <laughs> It's because it, I just I automatically know that it's gonna be it's gonna be like it's self indulgent yeah. and treacly yeah. and just really sappy. Like mm. I don't. Yeah, I, I like it when a filmmaker doesn't look too kind of adoringly at the thing that they're making a film about. Yeah, or they don't look through like rose tinted glasses. Yeah, like La La Land. You can tell Jamie Damien Chazelle really likes jazz, but like too much to make a movie about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're too close to the subject material. Yeah, yeah. yeah they don't have. You still need a little bit of objectivity mm. if you want to make like a good movie. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And meanwhile, this is the complete opposite. Where Francis Ford Coppola did not yeah, want to make this film was every, brought on at the last minute. Everybody <laughs> who made this movie hated the process, <laughs> and therefore it turned out great. You can't make art without suffering. <laughs> 
reminds me of a line in this film where um, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, Diane Lane is in the Cotton Club and says to uh, Richard Gere, "You don't know what it's like to be a slave <laughs> in a room full of black yeah. people." Yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so should we give it a should we give it a rating? Um, yeah, we can give it a rating out of what? Out of let's go out of a possible fifteen blood-stained jelly beans after a, a possible 15 blood-stained jelly beans yeah 12 and a half yeah i'm giving it 12 and a half out of 15 blood-stained jelly beans yeah this is your most favorite this is your second favorite, second favorite. weirdly my favorite movie is the one that has the least nicholas cage in it i mm. still nothing has surpassed fast times at richmond High. I mean, uh, no it's not, not it's okay. don't don't put words in my mouth okay. we're still early days yet this is only film number six <laughs> Or film number seven of 104 of 104 and counting <laughs> um i mean the images from nicholas trailer's new film jujitsu have just been released oh it looks incredible yeah i'm anticipating that being my favorite movie <laughs> at some point of the podcast but for now still fast times at ridgemont high very good i'll give it a, i'll give it i'll join you on that 12, 12 and, and a half, half bloodstained yeah, jelly beans we, we've been in kind of in consensus these yeah, last so couple far. of uh films as to like what to rate them liam liam said to me last week what what are we gonna disagree on yeah because we haven't really substantially disagreed on a movie yet. yeah i reckon it's gonna be moonstruck you think it's gonna be moonstruck yeah do you which way do you think it's gonna go do you think i'm gonna like it and you're gonna hate it or vice versa i think i i, I don't know i just think we're just gonna disagree on it huh, do you right. disagree with my disagreement um you know what no I don't. No, go on, go on say yes. No, say, well, say I don't it. know enough about Moonstruck. To, <laughs> Neither like, do I. I know it's a very good movie. <laughs> I'm just prodding you. I mean, John Patrick Shanley and Cher both won Oscars for it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a good movie. No, I think we're both going to yeah. I think we're both going to I think we'll have a lot to talk about vis-a-vis yeah. -vis German Expressionism when we get to that movie. Because yes. he's, like, directly cited yeah. several German Expressionist performances. Metropolis, particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, too, yeah. That contributed to his character in this movie. So it'll be interesting to pick it apart. Um, so we've got that. We've we've got that to look forward to, but coming next we've got the boy in blue. Do you know where we can find the boy, the boy in, in blue? blue? Absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. It's uh, it's not on any streaming service. Not on YouTube, iTunes, Apple, anything. Somebody doesn't want you to watch this movie. So we are the DVD is over a hundred dollars. The VHS is only thirty though. So if you have a spare a VHS <laughs> player, maybe an option. We'll let you know in the next episode where we found it. Yes. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Anything else I wanted to say? Oh. Um, I know. Like, comment, subscribe. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Where, and we'll bring you all the updates on Nicolas Cage's ass meat. Yeah, his ass schmeat. And uh, yeah, it continues. It already, already a varied filmography between sort of teen comedies, yeah. teen romance, black and white expressionist experimental film. With Rumblefish. What else do we have? Um, musical TV show. Yeah. Cancellation. Um, nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. He's done a lot more period pieces in yeah. kind of his early career than I think I'd anticipated. That's like, especially true. when you take into account Birdie and The Boy in Blue are both period of course, pieces. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, he's done a lot of period pieces. Yeah, it's weird because Nicolas Cage isn't necessarily someone you associate with the period piece mm. but his early career has a lot of these it's defined by it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of like 20 40 years in the past mm. Mm. is Peggy Sue the first contemporary I mean well Peggy Sue is also kind of set in the past oh it is isn't it yeah, yeah. oh yeah weird well there we that's lots to look forward to it'll be good 
Until then... Until then... Look after yourself, keep tuning in, and don't forget to reach out to us on Twitter at NotTheBeesPod, or send us an email at NotTheBeesPod at gmail.com. And uh, I'm Lawrence. And I am Liam. And this has been Not The Bees, and we'll see you next time.